Hey, thank you for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can go to our website, renewalchicago.com. I pray that this podcast today is a blessing and encouragement to your soul. Well, today is our Gospel and Race conversation. We do this every year. Uh, at least around this time of year, we do it every year. Now, we don't just talk about it one Sunday. We do this all throughout the, through the services. If you're here and you hear my preaching, you hear me preach on different topics in terms of crossing the lines with other individuals. Last week, I talked about immigration specifically as a gospel issue because this is, this is not... It, it, when we talk about immigration in the world, a lot of times we talk about it in terms of politics. And this really isn't merely a political issue. It's much bigger than that. This is a gospel issue. It's a gospel issue. Jesus calls us to cross the lines with other individuals in our lives that are different than us. And he, named, he says neighbor. He says, so love your neighbor. He talks about what's the greatest commandment. Well, it's to love God with all your, if you know a Bible thumper, say it with me, with all your heart, all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so the neighbor word, when we break that down, neighbor is not just the Christian. It's not the person that you feel comfortable of being around. It's the person sometimes you feel uncomfortable being around. It's the immigrant. It's the, it's the straight. It's the gay. It's the black. It's the white. It's the Asian. It's the Latinos. On down the line, it's anybody in this world that's around you or maybe in need. And the whole reason of crossing the line with them, if you are a believer, is not to point them to yourself and see how good you are, but it's to give them a hope and a truth in someone else who's Jesus. It's to point them to somebody else. So loving your neighbor is not about you. It's about him. It's about spreading the glory of God throughout the nation. So today, I really wanted to have this conversation. And what you're going to hear today, you're going to hear stories just like Jonathan, his story, from people that are either immigrants or they have children that are immigrants, they have family members that are immigrants. And hear, hear me, we're not going to solve the immigration problem today. That's not what we're going to do. So if you came here trying to figure out how to solve this immigration problem today, we're not going to solve that. The other side is we're not here to bash President Trump either. You know, so this is, like I said, this is bigger than politics. So if it comes up today, I want you to hear it in the story of what, and, and, and I want you to really kind of slip on somebody else's boots. I want you to learn to empathize with somebody else. And when you have empathy for someone else, now you can, I want it to take a step further and now have compassion. Because when you have compassion, now you'll seek the betterment of someone else. Amen? So that, that's what we want to do this morning. So again, this isn't about politics. It's way bigger than that. It's about what does the Bible say about this? What does God call us to do? And he calls us to love our neighbor. So hopefully today, that will teach you and help you love your neighbor a little bit more. And if you missed that announcement on the 13th, we're going to engage more. So if you want more of what happens today, we're going to sit at a roundtable discussion. Another church, we're going to partner with them. We're going to bring them in and, and bring a brother of mine, Pastor Paco. He's going to come in. He's a, he, he, he loves talking about immigration himself as well as what's happening in his church. So I want you guys to be there on the 13th where we'll engage more, and you'll be able to ask your own questions and talk among yourselves, too, at that. So don't miss that conversation, too. Without further ado, I want to welcome the panelists here up on the stage. Would you put your hands together as they come up here? Why am I being the last ones up here? Y'all just... 
walking all slow and cool and stuff. Come on now. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you guys for joining me today. First question I really want to do, and before I do that, I'm going to pray for our time. If y'all would pray with me. Would y'all pray with me? Bow your heads. Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, you're awesome. Yes, you are, God. You're a good father. God, I pray simply right now that you be glorified in this time. This is not just merely a conversation. This is a gospel conversation, Lord. We're engaging with one another, and you did this a lot of times throughout the text where you engaged with people that were different than you, pointing them to yourself, God. So I pray today that we wouldn't be lifted up, but you would be lifted up in this place, that people will come in contact with you, Jesus, an undocumented immigrant at one time yourself, God. But yet you stepped out of heaven, saw us in the midst of our mess, and said, I love them. And now we get welcomed into a foreign kingdom that we don't even, we're not, we shouldn't be in. But because you loved us, God, we get to be there if we believe in you. So, God, I thank you that we would be in a place like this. God, I pray that you be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. So, first question I have for you guys. I just want to know your story. So if you would, just take a second and just tell us who you are and where you came from, a little bit about your story, how you dealt with this immigration. What, what does that look like for you? So you want to start with us, Jenny. All right. Um, hey, guys. My name is uh, Jenny Dentman. I was born and raised in Panama City, Panama, which is a small country in Central America. I uh, come from a pretty awesome family. Uh, my parents really value education. Um, they either my parents or my siblings came to the US uh, to pursue their education and then went back home um, because they really believed that would set them off better. Um, and so when I got the opportunity about 10 years ago to come to this state, um, I came in as an international student to pursue my undergraduate degree. Um, I went to school in the middle of nowhere in Missouri, um, really, really small town. Um, it was a state school and God had a different plan for my life. He uh, really redirected um, my heart, my dreams um, of pursuing earthly things into pursuing um, his kingdom. And so I've stayed ever since uh, as an international student. Uh, then I moved to Memphis, lived there for a couple of years, uh, moved to New York, uh, pursued my master's degree. And then um, a couple of years ago, my husband and I moved to Chicago. Uh, and have loved it ever since. Um, but now I have um, a green car through marriage uh, with my husband. Yeah. And that's me. Thank you. Mama Deb, you're next. All right. Um, I'm an immigrant in my family many, many centuries ago. I think when we traced back um, our family roots at one point, some of our first relatives were in the group of the Mayflower that came over, um, but we also qualify as immigrants to this country. Um, one of the reasons I'm on the panel this morning is because, as most of you know, I parent three children who were adopted. Two of them are immigrants from Uganda. And in the adoption process, um, the immigration part of that is not small, okay? You literally cannot go to Uganda or Ethiopia or China or Colombia or wherever you're interested in adopting without having multiple layers of permission from the US government in order to bring back um, a child who you're adopting from somewhere else. So my children are citizens. Um, that happened when we went through the adoption process and when we came back to the US, they were readopted in Illinois um, and became US citizens at that point in time. 
And so I think for, for Zachariah and Leah, they don't spend a lot of time thinking about being immigrants. While they know they were adopted from Uganda, obviously, they are US citizens and this is the country that they have known. Um, but that's kind of drumming in the background, I think, when um, there's a lot of public discussion around immigration like there has been. And one of the anecdotes I want to give you about that um, to kind of kick this off does relate to the 2016 election. And let me just pause right here and say what Derek said before we started. Um, this is not about politics for us. My children do not know the issues that are Republican or Democrat. They just don't. Okay, they're 10, 11, and 12. At the, at the time of the election, they were eight, nine, and 10. Um, and we don't watch a lot of news in our house, but what they did pick up on around that time period was this idea of building a wall between the United States and Mexico. And what they understood that wall to be was something to prevent people from coming to the United States. So if you think about it, that's, that's the mindset of an eight, an average nine-year-old. Um, there's a wall to keep people out. So on the morning um, that the election was announced in favor of um, President Trump, my children and I actually had gone to bed before the election results were final. Um, and we woke up that morning and I told them that President Trump had been elected. And, and this is one of those moments in time that will stick with me for a long time because I remember the four of us sitting on my bed together talking about that because I also had a sense that there were gonna be big feelings about it. And what I remember is Leah, who was my eight-year-old at the time and was born in Uganda, she looked at me and with all sincerity, guys, she said to me, does this mean I have to go back? Mm. And to have a child who wonders that because of the discourse that's happening in our country around immigration as her mom was heartbreaking. And again, not about the political sides. She doesn't, it, you could ask her today as a 10 year old, she has no idea what a Democrat or Republican is. This was the language that she heard around people being from somewhere else and her wondering whether or not this meant that she could stay in this country. Um, so I have some other things that I could share, but I'll stop there for now. That's good. Good morning. There you go. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. My name is Robinson <laughs> Alexis. I am a member here at Renewal. I am originally from Haiti, Haiti. Fuero. <laughs> but anyways, I came to America at the age of six. Um, when I came to America, I was undocumented. And so I spent majority of my time in the States, uh, childhood, teenage years, and even um, early part of adulthood as an undocumented immigrant in this country. Uh, now I am a citizen, um, but I, I'm trying to think for me, in terms of my story, if I can think about uh, my path, uh, me and Bill were just talking, uh, uh, Bill were just talking about, there's so much story to tell, but if I can, if the one thing I can recall, like that was constantly in my head growing up was like, you had to fit in, right? So I grew up in South Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and it was a predominantly urban black area. And then so I had to assimilate and learn to be black, right? As you would say. 
And then as I got older, I moved to Illinois, um, and I started going to school, um, school, and then I started to be around more white people. So, so it's almost like all the stuff that you learn, you got to learn to like interact and learn how to speak and talk and act around white people. So if I can go back in terms of what it meant to me being an undocumented immigrant in America was just always having to try to, you know, fit in. And it was always in the back of my head. And I guess the other thing too, though, in South Florida, it's a big Haitian population. Um, and there's a lot of um, kids like myself that were undocumented. And one of the things, like if you grew up in my household, my mom didn't play that. So it was just like, especially the neighborhood we grew up, it was just like, if you did anything wrong, there was always a feel like you will get deported if you do this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that was always something like, you know, you laugh, but everything I did was just like, everybody was going out doing stuff. I was like, nah, man. You taking that flight back to Haiti type of thing, you know? So, <laughs> so that, those, those are my thoughts growing up in America as an undocumented immigrant. Mm. Thank you for my mic back. Um, so kind of like what he was saying, I think uh, if I think about my story, it's kind of hard to narrow it down. Like it would take forever for me to, you know, as I was sitting getting ready for this, I was like, man, that happened, that happened, that like so many things have happened. So... This is what I'm going to share is like maybe 20% of my story, but I'll just share the, the main points, basically. Um, I was born in Kenya, came to the United States when I was three years old. Um, don't have any memory of being in Kenya at all, um, but that's where I was born. Um, so I came here. My dad was in grad school at the University of Minnesota, so I went to school. I mean, went, so I grew up there, went to elementary school in a part of Minnesota, and then I moved in seventh grade and went to high school, junior high and high school in another part of Minnesota. So Minnesota is all I knew. It was just like what I knew. Actually, growing up, I thought I had a green card. I didn't know anything. I just assumed I was a citizen or something. I didn't know. I had no conception of what it meant to not have citizenship or what that even meant. And um, a lot of times growing up, it doesn't matter because regardless of what your status is in this country, you're allowed to go to school, like growing up. Um, so it doesn't really matter. Your status doesn't really matter until you get to like junior high, high school, when it's time to get a driver's license and you find out, oh, okay, well, I can't really get a driver's license. I have to take additional steps and all that stuff. That's when stuff starts getting real. Uh, so I grew up, um, and then maybe around ninth, 10th grade is when I started realizing like, okay, like this is a little different. Like uh, we started, um, my dad had been, came as a student and then um, we had to apply to be able to stay because uh, it's a student visa, so you can't stay forever. Um, so we, to, I don't want to get into too much of the minutia of like what we applied for, but we applied for several ways to regularize our status. Um, and we kept getting roadblocks and then not working out. And appeal, appeal, appeal up to 2012. Um, so in January of 2012, we got a letter saying that um, you have 60 days to leave the country. Um, and I was in my junior year of college at the time. So it was like winter break, basically. Um, and so I was kind of like, I had time for classes, so I was gonna go that for classes that, um, that spring, but I didn't sign up for classes for my senior year because I'm like, I can't even finish my four-year degree. Uh, and so that, that, during that semester, we had to go visits with immigration, the immigration office and um, 
there's so many different stories about those experiences that I can tell you later. Uh, but it was just a lot. But they allowed us to stay and just do check-ins every, every couple months um, instead of making us leave right away because we didn't have any criminal history, whatever. And then that summer of 2012, Obama passed DACA, which, um, which really helped, which was like basically a lifesaver because um, I wasn't able, I didn't have to go home anymore. I was able to finish my senior year of college, get my degree, and it helped me work for four years after college as well before I moved over here. Um, so yeah, so that happened in 2012. Uh, in 2013, um, there was a big immigration bill in Congress that passed with 68 votes in the Senate, and that bill would have fixed my family's problems and fixed the problems of a lot of immigrants in this country uh, who had been in this country for a long time, had developed like long-term connections in this country, but for whatever reason, maybe they couldn't regularize their status. And then that bill just kind of died in the House of Representatives. But like every day I was like reading the news, like, come on, come on, like every day when you're in this situation, like every day you're just kind of hoping like yeah. things will change, like people will see, like you can just, you can like, uh, you can improve so many people's lives if you just say yes on this bill, please just like pass it and just didn't pass. And so, again, so it's just kind of continually living in this, like, this uncertainty. DACA is like a safety net, but it's like not really a full safety net. Like, it can always be taken away. Um, and then the 2016 election happened. Um, and uh, that was like one of the, honestly, one of the hardest days of my entire life. Um, not because my, who I wanted to win lost, but just what it represented. To me, it represented a lot of hatred and animosity towards me and my family and people like us. Um, and so that was, that was a terrible day um, for me. Um, and then, but earlier that year in 2016, I got married. And so I was hoping like, you know, I could get my green card through marriage or whatever. And it's, we're still in the process of it. But uh, one of the things is, since my situation was so complicated, since we'd become undocumented before, it wasn't like, you know, Jenny was a student, so she was able to kind of probably get her situation fixed, but I was undocumented, so I didn't have a visa to stand on before and switch it. Um, so I had to get, we had to get an attorney, and uh, the attorney cost $8,000 to, to, um, for them to help us through our process, and the fees cost $3,000. So it, took, it cost us $11,000 just for the hope of being able to stay. Wow. I don't have a green card yet, so like it's, yeah, it's not, um, yeah, it's not been like for sure or whatever. But yeah, so it's just been a constant thing. And it's like every day in my mind, I'm just thinking about like how, what can happen, what are the possible um, downfalls of my situation. Um, so yeah, I'll just stop there. But there's so many things to say, but that's been my story. Hey, Billy, I wanted to ask you something based on what you said. So you have dreamer status right now, right? Yes. So it was revoked or rescinded a couple years ago, but it's being litigated in the courts. Uh, so it's still active now. But yeah. So you were born in Kenya. If someone decided you're out of status and didn't have dreamer status, you would go back to... Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know what's there. <laughs> I mean, I have family members there, but I, these are people I've never met before. Um, so yeah. Have yeah. you been there since you were three? Never been there since do I you, came here. Do you speak the language? Do there? not speak the language well, or really at all. I can understand when my mom tells me to go wash the dishes. That's about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. A language every child knows. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is good. And, and I'm not sure if you guys, I mean, my heart just hearing some of the stories is sort of aching. Um, and folks up here, I mean, I think commonly, too, when we think of immigrants, we're like, oh, they're doing bad things, this and that, and we got to get them out, blah, blah, blah. No. Marketplace professional, lawyer, doctor, PhD student. They're not going to tell you that, but I will. Doing all great things for society here in our country and, and, and love Jesus with all their heart. Now, I will say this because I didn't say this in the beginning. To frame this up a bit more, I want you to hear their stories because of the empathy and compassion, but this is also God's heart for uh, and when you read through scriptures. I said this last week, but there's over 3,000 scriptures that talk about the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the alien. Alien, correctly translated, is immigrant. So when you look at the Bible, God deeply cares for folks that are immigrants in our country, and the least of these is the Bible talks about. And as Christians, we should too. So as you're hearing this, I want you guys to just dive into their stories more, okay? Don't hear the politics. Don't hear what, they, hear it how it's affecting them, because that's where we'll be able to empathize with their stories a little bit more. So with that, I want to dive in a little bit more. And I want you guys to talk about, we live in a very diverse city, very diverse, but yet so divided. Um, and Jonathan talked about it earlier, but you, you kind of typically sometimes hear about the black, white in our country, but you also hear about the black, white, brown, the brown divide specifically here in our city. But that doesn't necessarily always include the immigrant. So what does that look like for you guys? How do, how do you feel living in a city? Uh, for you, Deb, how, how do your kids feel? But how do you feel living in a city um, that's so diverse, gives you this picture of diversity, but yet it's so divided. And, and, and where do you fit in? How, how does that feel? I know one of you guys mentioned that. But what, how, how does that make you feel living in this city? Anybody can jump in. How about you, Billy? We'll start from that side and come back this way. Um, how do I feel living in the city? Um, so it's one of those things. I actually I moved here a year and a half ago, so I'm still kind of reintegrating into being a Chicagoan. I lived in Minnesota my whole life. Um, so this city is very different from, from Minneapolis and the town I grew up in. Um, in terms of like, just like the vast amounts of different kinds of people that are here. Um, I, I kind of feel like I'm in a unique spot because I, I, I'm in my PhD at UIC and that's like the most diverse place I've ever seen in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Literally everybody is at that school. And it seems like people get along just fine, you know? Yeah. Um, so in my micro life, it's like kind of like not, it's not something, the divisions isn't something I encounter on a daily basis. Um, but you, but I, but I see it like in terms of like how segregated things are um, and just things like that. So that's what I would say. Definitely. Robinson, Deb, you guys were on the panel last year and you talked a little bit about this too, but I'd love to hear some stories maybe just what it's like for you on a day-to-day -day basis living in the city and whether it be in your work or it's kind of, how, how do you feel living in the city? <laughs> well, just to kind of piggyback off Billy for a second, I also went to UIC and um, I graduated a while ago. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things that I noticed mostly, um, speaking uh, whenever Jonathan was saying, you know, we think about race relation in America, it's pretty, it's pretty much black and white. And I, I'd say I would agree with that until I moved to Chicago. I mean, at UIC, my closest friends are Asian American or Indian, what's up, <laughs> Asians, Indians, and, uh, and then one of the things that I found was wonderful for me moving to Chicago 
different than other places I've lived at, um, people whose parents are you who came who immigrated to America, in terms of as an immigrant child myself, there's like I can't explain it, whether you're Indian, whether you're Asian, whether you're Haitian, there seem to be, um, seem to be like a, a, a commonality between us and how we're raised. So that's what I would say about that. But pertaining to other parts, like say the workplace, like last year I was on a panel and I shared how, especially since um, the 2016 election, um, like Haiti was in the news not too um, last year or a year and a half ago, and where our president made a comment, and then so so instead of where a lot of people may not know what Haiti is, all they know Haiti is like this poor country that American always may have to save. Uh, I mean, my employer at the time came in to the office wishing me a good morning by saying good morning, asshole. You know, so those are some of the things that I've experienced. Um, some of the negative things I've experienced in terms of being an immigrant in this city. But I would say the hardest thing about hearing that message is my employer was someone who professed to be a believer. Mm. You know, so I think that when I think about that, or even, I'm about to go on a tangent, uh, when I think about just growing up uh, in America, I have found that um, it's almost like there's like two war, right? So growing up in South Florida, being surrounded by predominantly black uh, people, there's, no matter, no matter who you are, no matter what kid you are, you get bullied, you get picked whenever you're different, right? But I would say being jumped, being beat up because you're a certain race, um, it, you know, just, it was the norm, right? But it wasn't until I uh, started to, expand, start meeting um, uh, more cultures, more white people, where I can honestly say that where I honestly started to hurt because of what I was experiencing. Because on an everyday basis, you would have individuals that almost looked at you like a project. And I, I think for the most part, they meant well. But then when you get deeper and deeper into it, like, it just wasn't real, I felt, you know? Um, and there's many stories I can share why that is, but it, it always seems like there was this, oh yeah, come here a little poor Haitian boy type of mindset, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And then that's, that's something that's always made me guarded or question people's motive, um, you know, so that's I don't good. know if that answered any question. But. That's good, that's good. Um, so my kids and I live just outside Chicago, and one of the reasons that we stick close to the city is because of um, this, what I can see out there and what you guys can't see, and that is um, the ability to find really almost every culture for us to interact with. And as a multiracial family, that's very important to us, and I make it a priority for my kids, for example, to have mentors who are black like them because I'm not black and I can't teach them what it means to be a black person in this country. So one of the things that we've experienced just in the last year since we last did this panel was my family moved from Oak Park, which certainly has plenty of its own race dynamics, but it, on the blocks there, it's literally by house what race you're in. It's not segregated maybe as much as Chicago is into certain neighborhoods, but in Oak Park, there's this kind of beautiful blending. 
Um, and we moved from Oak Park to River Forest, which is the community right next to it. And they share a high school, um, Oak Park River Forest High School. And so there's lots of overlap between the communities. But on the River Forest side, it's a predominantly white community. Um, and about six weeks after we moved there last summer, my oldest son, Zachariah, was getting ready to try out for the cross-country team at the junior high there. And he went out on a sunny, um, I remember this very clearly, sunny Tuesday afternoon, um, right around noon. Um, and I was at work, and the nanny was home with him, and he went for a jog. And we had mapped out a, a path for him, go straight down the street by us to, to the middle school and straight back. It's one mile. That's a great amount to start with. So he went out by himself and was jogging, was gone for a bit and came back. Um, and I was very excited because I was a runner, so I was checking in with the nanny, you know, is he back yet? Did yeah. he love it? Is he yeah. going to buy in? You know, all of this kind of stuff. And she texted me, yeah, he's back, he's fine, whatever. And then about 10, 15 minutes later, the nanny texted me and she said, hey, just so you know, Zachariah just told me um, that while he was jogging, the police stopped him. And so I was at my desk, um, and those of you who know me at all know that my immediate reaction to that was not positive. <laughs> um, and so I took a deep breath, and I said, okay, um, and my nanny's pretty astute, and by the way, it, my nanny at the time, we have a different one now, but she is, was also a white woman who had grown up um, with a black sister. So I said, okay, lots of alarm bells here, but don't say anything to Zachariah, just ask him to call me. So Z called me at, at work, and I said, hey, you know, how'd your run go? It was fine. Um, we joked a little about how he thought he was getting lost because um, the street names kept changing as he crossed them. So we had a little chuckle about that. But I was trying very hard not to bring my feelings onto him because I really wanted to know the story unbiased. So Rachel told me that the police stopped you. What's that about? Oh, yeah. They did. Well, that was weird. And I said, what was weird? And he said, well, I was jogging and a police car passed by me, went down the block, circled and came back. Oh, well, what'd they say? Well, he got out and he asked me, um, and Z's right here in the front row looking at me. So if I get anything wrong, Z, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but he asked me, you know, what my name was. Oh, you told him your name? Yeah. And he asked me what I was doing. Oh, what'd you tell him? I told him I was training for cross country. And I said, oh, great. And that was the end of it. They left and you moved on. No. Well, what happened next? Well, he asked me where I lived. And just a side note here, I had mom panic because we had literally just moved and I didn't know if any of my children knew our address. And I was like, oh, great. He's going to be like, I don't know where I live. Um, but he did. He said, you know, gave him his address. And, he, and I said, oh, well, so then when he knew where you lived, that was it? No. Um, well, what else did he ask you? He asked me if my parents knew I was out here. I said, well, what did you tell him? I said, yeah, my nanny knows that I'm, that I'm running. So at this point, again, I, I did not want to influence Zachariah's story. So I just tried to keep asking open questions. I said, well, did he offer to take you home? Because there's a one scenario in my mind where someone's worried about a child running by himself, although footnote, kids were running all over River Forest getting ready for cross country. Most of them were white. Um, so no, he didn't offer to take me home. So was that the end of it? No. Well, what else? Well, he kept asking me if I was okay. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Is everything okay? Um, and just a little bit about my background here. I, I spent the first part of my legal career as a federal prosecutor. And so I worked a lot with um, FBI agents and DEA agents in the Chicago Police Department. And one of the things I know 
about investigations and about um, kind of the stop and frisk, as you might call it, when you stop someone on the street, is if you're suspicious, you keep asking them if everything's okay because you're hoping they'll say, I'm running away from an issue. Um, but Zachariah kept telling him, no, everything was okay. Um, and eventually the police officer left. Um, there's a lot more to say about that story, um, but two things that I would take away from that. One is I did some significant follow-up with the River Forest Police Department because I can't help myself. Um, <laughs> and so we have an ongoing dialogue happening there. But I think more important for my <laughs> dialogue, <laughs> more, more yeah. important for, for Zachariah and me and my family is um, Zachariah is an immigrant, and like I said, I don't know that he thinks of himself that way, but he's from Uganda, a country that is, you know, 99.9% .9 black. Um, and so he now has to learn what it means to be a black man wherever he's born in this country. And immediately following this incident, which was pretty jarring for me, um, because I hadn't spent a lot of time talking to my kids about what police interaction looks like, because I just didn't think it was time yet, shame on me. Um, Zachariah was 12 at the time. Um, we set up a, a dinner just two days later with both of my boys, Seth and Zachariah, and, and Pastor Derek, because um, I wanted Derek to be able to walk through that with them, to talk to them about, as he said during that meeting, what it means to be loved desperately by Jesus and also a black man in this country, and what that intersection can look like. And so that's an ongoing dialogue that uh, my kids and I will continue to have with um, some of the amazing black men in this, in this community of faith. Amen, amen, amen. Jenny, you have anything to add? What, you, what do you think about living in the city? And just this diversity, diversity, thank you all for sharing, but just diversity, but yes, so divided. What's your experience been like in the city? Yeah, um, so, very similar to what John said on the video, which um, I was really happy to hear because then kind of, you know, confirm what I what I felt. But it is that, like I said, I've been here about 10 years and the majority of that has been in the middle of nowhere in Missouri and in Memphis. And it was this dialogue, constant dialogue around diversity of black and white. And so I never really thought it, it was about me or people that look like me. Um, and so when we were kind of looking to move to Chicago, that was one of the main reasons we moved. It was the, the exposure to true diversity, if you will, um, or people from all shapes and colors. Um, and to be honest with you guys, I, I really would say that I've experienced that. Um, I have, I'm gonna say two staff teams. I have a eight to five staff team, uh, which like Derek mentioned, I work for Kraft Heinz in marketing. And it's four Hispanics, um, two Asians, and two uh, white guys, and it's amazing. I mean, uh, we all have different perspectives and backgrounds, and we create amazing products um, because of that. I, I really honestly believe that. And then I have my campus staff, ministry staff, who's um, Jesse from Tennessee, and uh, Jonathan, who's Mexican and Puerto Rican, and Anthony, who's Filipino, and Grace, who's second generation Nigerian. It's like, guys, we, we're set up for success to legitimately reach um, one of the most diverse campuses in the nation, which is UIC. Um, and because of our own, um, you know, perspective, backgrounds, um, we really are a, a blend of the, cre the creativity of our creator. Um, and so I'm really excited to, to partner with these different groups of people and um, impact the city. And so, yes, while the city is segregated and you have people groups that have their own neighborhoods, 
basically in a five mile radius, you can visit people from different countries, um, eat different food, and honestly see um, the beauty of a creator that can um, put together something so beautiful in so different shades. And so um, if that doesn't really fuel your vision to labor and impact this city and bring about you know, togetherness um, as, a, as a way of living rather than segregation, um, then I don't know. And I, I love Chicago. Um, and my heart breaks for the city. Um, but I'm so thankful for the place that the Lord has put us now um, and the opportunity we get to impact the city for his kingdom. That's good. That's good. That's good. I, I wanna, and I want to elaborate on that a little bit, too. And, and it, it is true. We live in a city that's super diverse. But we have one of the histories of being the most divided city whether it be politically, socioeconomically, racially, we all have that. But what we have here on Sunday is an anomaly, but at the same time, we don't want it to be an anomaly. We want it to be able to go outside of these doors and impact the city as a whole. So I, I, I definitely am big on that too, Richie. And that's the gospel. That's what God calls us to do. I want to elaborate on that question too a little bit too, and I want to, I want to dive in a little bit more and just think about it. So we are a sanctuary city, and what that means is that something, um, it, it's... It, in, in, in its small, in its simplest sense, uh, it's, it's supposed to be a, mo- a little bit more safe for immigrants and a little less likely to get deported. Um, government's more on your side. And so I want to ask you, Billy, too, and this may not just mean necessarily in Chicago, but in the last couple of years, it's been a tough road for your family, man. And um, just what's that looking like? What's that, what's that been like for you in terms of whether it be around the election and the wall, the different things that are happening, deportation? Just, you wrote an article a little bit about a little bit. Can you share a little bit with us about what's been going on? Sure. Um, so a couple of things. Let me rewind a little bit. Um, I meant to say this earlier. Like part of the reason not only the, uh, re- the results of the election were hard, not just because it was like political party didn't win, but also like because of the way that I saw some of my Christian friends celebrating it. I think that was like the deeper hurt too. I think um, before that time, I thought that um, if you share faith with one another, like you can always have political differences, but your unity is much deeper. And um, um, yeah, but like that kind of broke that for me. And to be honest, I'm still picking up the pieces today. Like mm-hmm. I'm still like trying to figure out what it means to be united in Christ and. Uh, what it means to be following God together. Um, so yeah, let me just say that. Um, so um, it's been like a lot, before I talk about like what happened last year with my family, like it's been a lot of different things. So being undocumented means you can't leave the country because you can't come back. Um, uh, so what's happened over the last couple of years is um, my mom's dad died in 2012 and she didn't get to go home for the funeral. My dad's lost two sisters in the last like four or five years. Didn't get to go home for a funeral. And then my grandma was killed last, um, last February, so a year ago. And again, he didn't get to go home for a funeral. So like, that's like also like a part of it too, like the family bond. I didn't really get to know my grandparents at all um, because of this constant thing. I wasn't able to go visit them um, and all that stuff. Um, and so last year, um, you know, for a long time, my parents just did check-ins every couple months. Uh, but then with the change, um, uh, it kind of became a thing where it didn't matter your background, didn't matter how long you'd stay in the United States, didn't matter if you had a criminal history or not. 
everyone's kind of a target for enforcement or removal or whatever. And so my parents had a situation where um, they got a letter saying like, okay, now you guys have to start getting ready to leave. So this was in April. I didn't know what was going on. I just got a text message from one of my friends. This is the craziest thing. I, got, I was in the middle of class. I got a text message from one of my friends saying, I'm so sorry to hear about your parents. I'm like, I don't know what the person's talking about. But apparently, um, it had gotten in the news because my dad's a college professor. And so like some people ca caught wind of the fact that he got that. And then it was like, it was on the news. And then when they went to go visit the next day, there was like hundreds of people who were protesting to keep my parents in the country. Um, and it was, it was just like kind of a, it was a crazy moment because um, I was here in Chicago, they're in Minnesota. Um, obviously they're going through this tumultuous, tumultuous time, but I'm like super far away and so I can't really do anything. I'm like, should I fly back? Should I stay here? Like all these just um, confusing feelings. Um, but they didn't get detained or anything and then it was kind of constant, um, okay, we'll give you 10, 30 more days, 30 more days, 30 more days. Um, up until September, this past September, uh, I went home for a wedding um, and my parents were preparing to leave the next week. Um, they were gonna leave and so I got home on Thursday and I told my dad, we, I was talking to my dad, he's like, yeah, so we're leaving next week. Uh, we talked till three o'clock in the morning, like what are we gonna do with our house, cars, um, my brother's in college, what are we gonna do with all that? Um, and then, yeah, so then that was over, I went to the wedding. And before we came back on Sunday, we got, my dad told us like, so we got a message from the government, they issued a stay of your removal. So that means like, for now you're good, but it's no long-term stability. It's just that we're not gonna remove you right now. <laughs> um, so that's what, that's what I've been living with um, every day. I, like, it's just like constant burden in me. I don't know whether my parents are gonna be here next month or not. Like, that's every day for me, it's just, just my life. Um, and then with DACA being rescinded, like, I don't know if the courts are gonna figure that out anytime soon or, uh, or what's gonna happen. Um, is my green card gonna get approved? Should I start thinking about what's Canada, what's Canada looking like? It's just like every day, it's just like there's constant wrestles in my mind and um, thought process about what, what are my contingency plans if something happened. But also like just the family aspect of it too, like, you know, not knowing my grandparents and them dying and my parents not being able to go for a funeral. Um, as like we consider starting a family, like will my parents get to be grandparents or not, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so those are like my constant, just everyday wrestles. Um, and it's been tough like not knowing whether other, you know, Christians care or um, just, or like, you know, if this, if this is important to them. So like that's why I'm so thankful for this forum to be able to to talk about this and share a little bit of my story because um, if one suffers, all suffer is the idea. And um, yeah, so that's it. Thanks for sharing. Yep. So it's safe to say you don't feel safe. Yeah. It's, it's one that uh, even certain privileges and things that you would want to be able to experience in America, you feel like you, it's hard to even experience those because you don't know what's happening tomorrow. And so that, that's, that's pretty tough. And uh, thanks for sharing. Anybody on the panel just resonate with what Billy's saying? Is that, you know, could you add to what he's saying? Maybe in your personal experience, anything else there that you want to add to that, Robinson? I think it's on this time. Right? Just make sure. <laughs> Man, you know, just kind of, I kind of know part of Billy's story, but as he's repeating every single time he shares it to me, it just like, it's like a visceral reaction because this was my life. I mean, from the time I was like six years old, you know, not just being able to go home, 
or, um, you know, just like you said, just a constant reminder. So just to kind of hear you talk about that, about like families dying and not being there, uh, you know, just or or mom losing brothers and sisters and you just not being able to uh, share in those experiences, weddings, whatever it may be. Uh, I definitely relate to that. And even at 35, 36 years old, you, were, you wouldn't think that's something that still affects you. But And it's not even me personally, but I, I feel it. And that's what bothers me the most. Like, um, I recall, man, I'm bringing this back to the election. I recall um, when in 2016, um, we were in small group. Um, we met every Tuesday. And I still remember the day. And and one, one of the things about being in a multi-ethnic church, you have uh, several people uh, who come from different backgrounds, and we had a very diverse group. And, and you, you can kind of, unfortunately, there was tension among our group. You know? And you would think as believers ourselves, especially in a place like this, um, we should be able to um, come together, have compassion for one another, um, and, and it's sad to say, I was, I, was, um, I was more saddened by that feeling that night between my fellow brothers and sisters within the faith and the disconnect we had or lack of empathy for each other than anything else. So, and, and I just think that's something we just constantly need to be prayer, prayerful about, continue to work on, because it's so easy to, you know, we do a good job, rah, 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 you know, we in a multi-ethnic church, we attend a yearly panel, right? I was there. Uh, you make a statement on social media about something that happened, but we're not living with one another. Mm. We really don't empathize for the other person, like you said earlier, like really putting yourself in somebody's shoes. I mean, when I hear Billy talk, I, it's, well, partly because I lived it, but I, I feel it. It's, I'm walking in his shoes, and it devastates me to hear that, that any day his parents could be taken away. So that's what I think about that. And, Man, brother, you know, I just love you and continue to pray for your family. I just pray everybody here would do that as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and I, uh, I also have a visceral reaction to it, Robinson. And so I want to say something to the two of you, I think, on behalf of a lot of people here in this room this morning. I care. It matters to me. I want you guys to know I hear you, and I'm not okay with it, honestly. Um, I think one of the biggest things that Billy said that jumps out to me is when you think about his parents, what did you hear in that story? This is a prominent professor who has been here for decades. Mm. And that's who we're spending our time, energy, and effort on kicking out of the country? We got to check ourselves. And I, like Robinson, I'm going to be praying for your family. I didn't know that story till this morning, but I care, Billy. That's good. That's good. And it's true. And I don't give them the, their answers. So they know that this is all true reactions and what's happening on the stage. And, and the reality here, and, and this is a big part of why we do this panel, and I'm going to switch to how does the gospel, what, what are we supposed to do? But it's really, um, as the church, the church, I believe, has done a very sorry job with equipping people how to navigate society and culture. And the reality is, is that we're going to figure out how to navigate society and culture one way or another. 
whether that's through social media, whether that's through asking a friend or asking or, or our teachers or things of that nature. But this, the Bible speaks clearly about different issues and different things that are happening. There's nothing new under the sun. And, and the reality is, is that we as a church, Ephesians 4, we need to equip the body to do the work of the ministry. That's not here on Sunday morning. That's outside these doors. So uh, we have to know what God is calling us to do as ambassadors and representatives of the faith and how the faith should represent him in a hurting and dying world. So that's the next question I want to ask you guys is, what does the gospel say about this? You know, what should we do as Christians? What does that look like for us? I'm going to go to you, Jenny, in terms of what does that mean for us as Christians? How does this, how does the Bible speak of this? And, and how do we cross that line? Or how have you yourself done that with other individuals in society? Yeah, so um, guys, the, the gospel of Christ impacts everything we do in life, every, every single aspect of it. And so um, to me, a chapter in the Bible that really speaks to this or that I can kind of use to illustrate this is, and I think Derek preached on it a couple of weeks ago, is Isaiah 6, right? Like, Isaiah's um, there and says, woe is me, uh, for I am a man of unclean lips and have seen the Lord. And, and honestly, that's how I feel. It's like, woe is me, an immigrant, an alien, a sojourner, and yeah. the Lord rescue me mm-hmm. um, in a foreign land, <laughs> literally. Um, and so, woe is me, and, and, and my response is just humility and honestly, joy and tears um, that, that he gave me a new heart, a new vision, a new purpose, a fulfillment that goes beyond um, borders or restrictions or immigration status. Um, and then this, the flip side of that, right? Then the Lord says, um, who are we to send? And, and Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. Mm. And, and I pray that that is our response. And, and it, it is my response, and I want it to be my response every single day. Here is God, send me. Send me to bridge the gap um, and, and be the bridge. And, and immigrants and sojourners and aliens like me. Uh, people that look like me uh, may have the same um, backgrounds, perspectives, stories, families, struggles like me, God. Um, and even people that are not like me, right? Because then um, all together we can bring about God's kingdom to this earth. Um, and so uh, I just pray that that's our response throughout, throughout all of it. And I, that's really how I see um, the gospel impact our lives as immigrants. Amen. So you're saying that we should actually do life with people that are different than us. Our dinner table shouldn't look the same at night, right? We should do life with people that don't vote like us, don't eat like us, none of that, right? That's what we should do. That's what Jesus did. Yeah, that's a, that's a gospel, right? So uh, that's good. Thanks, Jenny. So I, wanna, I want you guys to just give me one statement, everybody on the panel in this way. Is what would you tell somebody else in terms of how to cross the line with an immigrant or someone uh, different than, than them in society? What's that look like for them to live life? I don't know if I got a statement, but can I tell a story? Yes, you can tell a story, Robinson. Thank you. you. (laughs) Um, I, too, lived in Memphis. um, And when I lived in Memphis, it was kind of like the weirdest dynamic. I got stuck in a house with two white boys from Texas. (laughs) Completely (laughs) political view. I mean, we would argue about, like, Okay, anyway, I mean, we just, everything, right? (laughs) But one of the things, um, and this would always stay with me, uh, one of my closest friends to today, um, he's from Wichita Falls, Texas. And I recall before our time ended there, uh, my friend coming to me um, in tears and to express to me that the negative views he's had of black people 
immigrants and his whole life, and this is a believer, y'all. Mm. He's carried this. And, and he, this is a dude that's gone on mission trip. I know all y'all probably been on vocational Bible study. I put the little kids in the country I go to and y'all come back, you know what I mean, <laughs> to America. You feel good about yourself. No, I'm serious. I'm serious because I've seen this. You know, this, is, this has been my life, you know. And, um, and at the end of it, my, my buddy, life was changed because we live life together. So every day we were broke as heck, you know, getting up early in the morning to take classes. Every day we prayed for one another. Every day we talked about, okay, things we were struggling with. Mm. And then he prayed for me. And then so it was no longer Robinson, my black friend, Robinson, my Haitian friend. No, it was Robinson, my brother in Christ. So that's why it means, that's why it's important to live with one another. I don't have one statement either. Sorry, dear. Um, so I can, I can tell a quick story too, and that is this. Um, my sweet brother-in-law and I have for many years disagreed on politics, um, and at times even fought vehemently about that because we were both <clears throat> much more mature. Um, no, sorry, immature back then, um, and didn't do a good job listening. But I want to tell you something that happened literally three nights ago. I got a call from him, which is unusual. I talk to my sister, but not usually her husband. Um, and he just said to me that he's been doing a lot of reading and he's been listening. And listen, he is always going to be a Republican. I am always likely to tend more to Democrat than he is. But what he said to me was he's been listening and he's been reading and he wants to figure out how to make some of these things right because we are both chasing hard after Jesus. Yeah, yeah. We are not chasing hard after Democrat or Republican. We're chasing hard after the heart of God. And that doesn't have to do with politics. He and I can still disagree on which side of the spectrum we end up voting, but we're both chasing hard after Jesus. And he understands why the morning in 2016 was hard for me and harder for my kids. He gets it, he internalized it, and he's showing that compassion that Derek talked about at the beginning. Amen. Um, yeah, I don't know, I think they said a lot. I think the important thing is, yeah, relationship for sure. Um, I think that it is um, education, educating yourself on the issue, not just assuming you understand. Um, there's certain things that are said about um, the way immigrants are framed in certain uh, circles as like always criminals, like that, that's unfortunate and that um, can so negatively um, mess up the, the conversation that it becomes, like it becomes everyone's getting extreme. Like if people, if, people, if you become if someone has an opinion that may be based on like, I just think this makes more sense to how to do immigration, but if one person paints it as like they're all criminals, like the rush to defend people they know are immigrants, it may cause you to you know, completely dismiss other like real um, concerns about whatever immigration laws or whatever. Um, so empathy for one another. I think I, I, needed to, I need to, this is so personal for me, so I can't, it's sometimes hard for me to get out of it as like, if you don't agree with me, you hate me or whatever. Um, so like working hard to understand where people are coming from um, is a constant struggle. Um, 
for me and I think for others as well. So just educating yourself on actually knowing what you're talking about um, and then also just taking the time to listen to people and empathize with them. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Back to Jenny, one last thing. Um, yeah, so I would say intentionality. Um, so I would say, you know, my husband and I make an effort to be intentional of with our time, our dinner table, who we invite over. Um, you will be surprised what you can learn about people in car rides, um, how you serve others by taking them home um, or by investing time. You know, it, it is sacrificial. Um, it goes beyond your comfort, and, and if you're open you're going to grow as a person, you're going to grow as a Christian, and you're going to go closer to one another. And so I just, I see that to be biblical, and I see that to be a benefit even for yourself. And so um, I just challenge you guys to be intentional with your time, your efforts, and your gifts and talents um, so that we can continue to build um, this city together. Amen, amen, amen. Can you guys put your hands together for the panel? Amen. Well, guys, I want to pray and uh, before we get into communion, but hopefully you've learned a lot today um, just by hearing stories, hearing what's going on with other folks and how to empathize with them. And hopefully your heart is, is more inclined now not only to just hear the story, but to seek the betterment of some other individual to where, like Robinson said, now they're your brother and your sister and you see them. Uh, more dear and near to your heart than just the other person on the other side of the lines. Whether that's the immigrant or anybody that's totally different than you, period. Um, Jesus calls us to seek the betterment of other individuals and to love our neighbors. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. You're awesome, God. And God, I thank you for just bringing us together in this church uh, with one another. And God, I pray that this would not be an anomaly, uh, that this would spark change in churches throughout the world and in society throughout the world to where Sunday is not the most divided hour of the week, God, but this is an hour of the week or the hours of that day are times where people come together from different walks of life saved by you, Jesus. We worship here, but God, we go out and we want to share that same truth and same hope that we have with you, with other people. So, God, we thank you for who you are, and as we walk into communion right now, God, I pray that we will remember you, remember your sacrifice and all that you've done on our behalf. And it's in Jesus' name we say all these things. Amen. Thanks again for listening to our podcast today. I pray again that it was a blessing and encouragement to your soul, and I hope to see you at one of our services at 10 a.m. Take care. God bless you. Uh -huh.